There's two main um, sections, I think, of this gospel. Well, two that I'm going to focus on. And the way that I'd like to, um, to sort of theme this homily is, is a bit of a reflection for each of us, for all of us, on sort of the state of our faith or relationship to God, okay? So um, this is meant to, to get us to just kind of do some self-evaluation. Uh, Jeremy, give me a little more in the monitor, just a touch. So the first one um, has to do with these two examples, okay? These two examples of, number one, you know, a man who finds a treasure buried in a field, no one else knows about it, what's he going to do? He's going to sell everything he has and buys the field so he can get the treasure. That treasure is so, I mean, obviously, why would, that just makes good sense. Or somebody who finds a pearl that he knows is, is incredibly valuable will sell everything else to get that pearl, right? There's a recognition of treasure, and then a willingness to give everything else up for the treasure. This is what Jesus says it's like for those who are members of the kingdom. They found the treasure, and they're willing to give. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to, but they're willing to give up everything for the treasure, which is a really important thing to reflect on because in the end, we will have nothing with us when we face Christ. So what the Lord is trying to get us to focus on here is a little bit is eternity and judgment. And he judges, right? He says he's going to do it. Um, And so in the end, none of the things we have, the other stuff, will be with us. No other person will be with us. It will be ourselves alone before Jesus. It's just really important to remember that that's what's going to happen. And that's what judgment is going to be for each one of us. And then the question is, okay, well, what are, the, what are the criteria by which we will be judged? Well, he's, the, this first one is, is part of those conditions. It's this willingness, and the Lord has said, you need to prefer nothing over me. Now, even in the, in the opening prayer, we had this uh, distinction between, um, I don't know if you paid attention to the opening prayer. I, I usually never did when I was out there. You know, I didn't usually lock in and tell about the homily. But, uh, but anyway, the opening prayer talked about using things um, in this life, but only using them or understanding that they point to something greater in the next. So when we think about the things, not the people, the things in this life, things are to be used, people are not. And consequently, if the things we have, if we're treating, if we're loving the things with the kind of love we should only reserve for people, right, we're loving them too much. And that's where it's out of order. So it's not that things are bad, they're non-moral, that they become bad because of our disposition toward them. You know, one of the things that I've said is, you know, do, do our possessions possess us or do we possess them? Things are meant to be used, and that's the proper disposition. But people are not meant to be used in this sort of utilitarian fashion so that they're only merely at our service. That's actually to do a great injustice, to sin against somebody, to use them in such a fashion. So is here's a question. So this is our first reflection question. Is Jesus, and I'll put it in the mind, is Jesus truly my treasure? And 
when I talk to people about this, everybody will say yes. Well, of course, God is most important. Okay, but they're usually responding out of affectation, their emotions. Yes, I feel like God is the most important thing in my life. And that is the starting point. But that's also the lowest point of faith because it's the lowest part of us as human beings, our emotions. It's not the greatest part. What, what makes us create in the image and likeness of God is not our emotions. That's why my Shih Tzu, as blessed as she is, is not created in the image and likeness of God, and she has emotions. But she doesn't have intellect, and she doesn't have will. And that's what makes us like God, the higher elements of the person. You might say, well, Father, that's just your opinion that the emotions are kind of the lowest part of us. Okay, well, I understand our postmodern condition, everything is opinion, but my opinion is based upon Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, and pretty much the entire history of psychology, as well as existentialists. But, you know, you can have your opinion too. That's fine. But if that's not good enough, you know, the authorities, just, just go based on our experience of emotions. Just based, you know, what is our experience of our own emotions? They go up and down, right? Well, if our faith is merely based on the emotional state, then that's what happens. They, and so the, our faith based on emotions tends to be pretty thin. It tends to be pretty weak. And because oftentimes if we're only ruled by our emotions um, or we're principally ruled by our emotions, we're also going to be up and down like that. We're going to make good decisions, but also we're going to make bad decisions because we're going to make them emotionally. But also we allow our emotions to control us. Remember that nobody else is responsible for our emotions. One of the things that we say often, which is simply untrue, and, and as we mature and get older, we, we find that it's untrue, is you made me feel this way. You made me feel bad. The reality is we choose how we feel. And how we feel based upon external circumstances is data about us and about our lives. And no matter what somebody says about us or how they respond to us, we can choose our emotional response. You might say, well, no, we can't. Well, I think we can, actually. There's plenty of people who say we can. Furthermore, to allow somebody else that kind of um, power over you, is profoundly unhealthy. So we know this, I think, from experience, right? And so we, we try to detach from that because we've, we have that experience of up and down. Okay, now when we apply that to faith, then, if our faith is merely based on the emotions, that could be a reason why you're kind of up and down with your faith. What the Lord is asking for us is decision, from us is decision, choice, using our intellect and will to choose to live as Christians, to choose as though he is our treasure. So consideration would be, you know, if, well, I don't know, if, you know, I was following you around with a camera or a video recorder all week, you know, that's really weird and a little creepy. So if the deacon was following you around with a camera all week, <laughs> And then he reviewed the, the data, you know, um, of your public act. Um, would there be evidence that Jesus is your treasure? I'm just offering you a way to think about it. So if somebody was observing you, um, would there be evidence out there? Because in here it should be easier to be Catholic. But out there, would there be evidence that Jesus is your treasure? 
And if there's not evidence, something needs to change because there's not a consistency then with our faith. It doesn't mean we have to go around being a, some kind of Bible thumper, but you know, living our lives with integration, integrity, right? That, that if, if we're willing to give it all away for Jesus, then that should, uh, that disposition should enter into every element of our lives. So that's my first consideration for you, just to reflect on. There's no test at the end of this. This is for us to just think about, okay? Now, the second movement of this gospel is a little harder. It's a little more difficult. And um, throughout my priesthood, I've heard people say, Father, I, you know, after I've given a homily on the subject, I would hear people say, I've had, heard, I've had people say, oh, I've never heard a homily on hell. To which I usually say, are you new? Because I usually never pass up the opportunity uh, because people are really interested in it. it. It can be a little controversial, but also Jesus talks about judgment a lot and it was important for him. It was an important part of his message. And I think therefore the best thing to do is to confront it and to look at it. What is he trying to say? So there's other places where Jesus will talk about those who get in and those who are left out. And he'll often talk about it as an invitation. So there's a feast and all of these people are invited to this, this feast and they were all too busy to come. And then he sends, remember it's a parable, so the king and servant sends a servant out and he says, well, just go find anybody then in the gutters and all the rest. And they showed up and they came. And then all of the wealthy and the well-to-dos found out about the banquet and the door was locked. The, the point there is, the invitation was given, they said no, and there's a time limit. There's a point at which the door is shut, okay? The, think about the wise virgins, right? They bring their oil for the lamps, and then the foolish ones didn't bring enough oil. Well, you know, what is the oil? A metaphor for is grace or, um, you know, sort of, I don't want to say good works because good works don't earn us salvation, but... Um, perhaps acquired virtue or becoming a sort of person who would, you know, be at home, as it were, in heaven, whereas, you know, the foolish virgins did nothing their entire lives to become like Christ. They just won't fit in heaven. Another parable that fits with that is uh, those invited to the wedding banquet. Some showed up without a wedding garment. You don't show up to a wedding dressed shabbily, you know, just so you know. That's not the required dress, right? Well, they showed up to the, to the wedding feast with, with shabby clothes and they were kicked out because they didn't have what was necessary. Okay, today's gospel and last week's gospel talks about those who get in as wheat and good fish. Good fish today. The only good fish I'm aware of is fried and beer battered. <laughs> but I'll admit that other people feel differently and that that's not the point of the gospel. That the point of the gospel is that good fish can be consumed for nourishment. It, good fish nourishes others, right? Bad fish is good for nothing, just to be burned. So the wheat and the chaff are separated 
and the wheat is good for something, the chaff is not, so it's burned. It's not good for anything beyond itself. Whereas the wheat can become bread. The wheat can become something which nourishes other people, which sort of gives up its life, as it were. The fish gives up its life for something greater or for something other. So if we use this as sort of an understanding of those who get in and those who don't, then a person who gets in is one who has lived their life for others, who have given their lives for others, who have sought to be nourishment for others. One of the uh, images I always, I always think about, I see moms, you know, during mass or over in the hall and and I, I see moms as just embodying this with the little ones, you know, when they're really little, even when they're marginally large, but particularly when they're little. You know, moms are, they're giving up their bodies even for their little ones. And the sacrifice that is, is so integral to being a mother. Dads have a hard time when the, they're really, really little, when they're babies, you know. It's, but moms are just, there's this natural, it's, um, um, this natural inclination to, to just sacrifice, to give for that little one. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And that kind of disposition um, should not be just reserved for, you know, our children, certainly primarily, but that's the kind of disposition Jesus wants us to have toward everyone in appropriate measure and rationally and all the rest, but to be a person who gives their life for others. And not just doing, because, I, I, you know, I think, uh, I don't want to say only men struggle with this, but I would say disproportionately men will, will focus on doing things for others. Um, you know, working hard or, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I realize both, both parties work and all the rest. I'm not, I'm not a Neanderthal, but, um, but there, is, there is kind of the, a, a thing for men that, they, that we do stuff and we lose, and women have just a greater intelligence here. But as men, we sometimes lose this understanding that we need to be for others more than do for others. And so men or women, all of us, the greatest gift we can give to our families, to those we love, is ourselves, our being, our being with it's one of the reasons why we've focused on this at the parish. Our being with each other is so strengthening and nourishing. And it's good for us to understand. Like your greatest gift to each other is yourself. Just being here. Your greatest gift to me is you being here. Oh, Father. It's true. I mean, it really is true. And it does make me emotional. But the the reality is that you are an incredible gift to me and you're an incredible gift to one another. Just you being here, not even your doing, your being. So important to remember this. Our being for others is an essential component of what it means to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to really get inside of that. So reflect on that. The first thing to reflect on is Deacon Richard following you around with a camera <laughs> you know, just reflect on your life maybe this week. And there's going to be moments that you'll reflect back on, you'll look back on, and you'll say, well, that was a moment I should have, I don't know, been more identifiably Christian. Whatever that 
turns out being for you. But is there data that would suggest that Jesus is your treasure? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is to just look at our lives and say, how can I make a move more toward being a self for others? You know, putting, putting myself in a position to be nourishment for other people, that I, that you, are this great good that God has created as, and meant to be as a gift for those around you. Please stand.